Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me this morning. Um, uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump both coming out saying that uh, we're not going to be defunding police departments. Here's the president. Uh, this has been a very strong year for uh, uh, less crime. Let's put it that way, less crime. And there's a reason for less crime. That's because we have great law enforcement. I'm very proud of them. Uh, there won't be defunding. There won't be uh, dismantling of our police. And uh, there's not going to be any disbanding of our police. Our police have been letting us uh, live in peace. And we want to make sure we don't have any bad actors in there. And sometimes you'll see some horrible things like we witnessed recently. But uh, 99, I say 99.9, but let's go with 99% of them are great, great people. And they've done jobs that are record setting and now here's the news on joe biden i think what's happened here is one of those great inflection points in american history for real in terms of civil liberties civil rights and and just treating people with dignity you've seen the black lives matter painted on that street just outside the white house some demonstrators added equals defund the police do you support defunding the police no i don't support defunding the police I support conditioning federal aid to police based on whether or not they meet certain basic standards of decency and honorableness and, in fact, are able to demonstrate they can protect the community and everybody in the community. You know, I I, want to hijack my own show here. Can we talk about the police for a moment? Uh, look, de- defunding the police is is not going to happen. Uh, neither the political leadership of the Republicans nor the Democrats want it to happen. Uh, they're talking about reform. Frankly, there are pack, uh, uh, pieces of this reform proposal sailing through Congress from the Democrats that actually do make some sense. Uh, less militarization of certain police forces, for example, actually does make some sense. Increasing training makes sense. Higher standards make sense. We've seen, for example, I mean, conservatives have long agreed that in the military, uh, at times we have lowered standards and we can say the same in the police force. In fact, you talk to a lot of police officers and they say that's their big concern is uh, that standards have been lowered. Testing standards have been lowered. Training standards have been lowered. But it is important to understand that the police are there to protect us and to serve. We have 159 counties. You know what? How, let's, let's, let's do this together. How many municipalities in Georgia? Hmm? How many municipalities do we have in Georgia? Really? Cities. There are 535 in Georgia. 152 subject to Georgia general law, seven subject to home rule, 535 total incorporated municipalities in Georgia, 159 counties, 497 special districts, 180 independent school districts in the state of Georgia. Six counties have consolidated with their city governments. Eccles County is consolidated with an uh, unincorporated community rather than a city. 
So you've got 159 counties, 152 uh, excluding city county consolidation, 535 total incorporated municipalities. I'm actually stunned by the number. I assumed it would be more. Uh, now, that, that that doesn't go into the number of unincorporated areas. There are plenty of towns in Georgia that aren't incorporated that rely on, on sheriff's deputies. But here's the point. The reason I raised that number, you've got 535 municipalities and 159 counties. And on a daily basis, you have police officers who are putting their lives on the line to keep people safe. And the majority of them, the overwhelming majority of them are doing a good job and being besmirched by a bunch of people who are pushing an agenda to bring down police departments uh, because they frankly don't like law and order. Are there bad police in this country? Absolutely. We see it with the George Floyd situation. It turns out the rookie police officer, it was his first day on the job who's been arrested now, according to his lawyer, he was begging Chauvin to get his knee off George Floyd's neck. We see down in South Georgia in the Almond Arbery situation, the police wanted to act. It was the local district attorney who told them not to. We see in Atlanta and Macon and Athens in Savannah and Columbus and Valdosta in Albany in Augusta in every part of this state, police officers who put their lives on the line on a daily basis to keep people safe. And it is nuts to treat them all as the bad guy. It is nuts to go after police in general. Must there be some reforms? Sure. Let there be some reforms. Sure. I suspect many of the good police officers wouldn't mind some higher standards so that the idiots stop giving them a bad name. But let's not paint with such a broad brush. Here's CNN on the reform package. If an individual's uh, constitutional rights were allegedly violated. Now, what it does not do is defund police departments. I asked uh, Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, about this, and she, like other Democrats, are steering clear from that rhetoric of embracing defunding the police departments, saying that is not the plan on the federal level and that this is a debate that has to happen on the local level. Have those debates at the local level, as they, that is a local decision, a local level. Uh, but to do so, that doesn't say we're going to pile more money on to, put, to further militarize the police. No, we're going to address mental health issues, education issues in our communities as well. You know, it, 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 there's a striking thing here, and Charlie pointed this out to me. Credit where it's due, Charlie pointed this out. Do you hear Nancy Pelosi now talking about mental health? Every time there is a school shooting in this country, Every single time there's a school shooting in this country, uh, when when a young white male shows up and says and fires up a, sh- shoots up a school, you have conservatives saying, you know what, we need to talk about mental health and and liberals are like you shut your mouth. No, we need to take people's guns away. You shut your mouth. Don't you bring up mental health? And now suddenly they want to talk about mental health. Good. I- I'm glad. I'm glad they want to talk about mental health. We should have been doing this for a while. It does make you wonder how many people, uh, how many of them have uh, PTSD, how many police officers are dealing with it, how many soldiers come back become police officers are dealing with it. 
we do need to deal with the mental health issue. It's just uh, pretty damn convenient that the Democrats decide to talk about it now when every time there's a mass shooting by mentally ill uh, teenage white boy, no, no, let's just take everybody's guns away. We don't need to talk about mental health. We're besmirching people with mental health when we do that. That That's always their lie. No, we, we, this, this, we, we can't suggest that people who have mental health are school shooters. No. Now, suddenly, we're going to talk about mental health because of the police, and, and there there is the subtle slight there. Isn't there? It's the subtle slight that maybe some of these people have mental health issues, and that's their problem. Their reforms need to come. Reforms need to happen. Uh, Congress is going to consider a package, and there actually appears to be bipartisan support for some of this. Now, what would it be? Uh, the demilitarization of, of certain police forces outside of urban areas would be one of those a- aspects. Um, the uh, retraining of police officers, the increased training of police officers, higher standards and, and possibly higher pay for police officers. One of the issues is pay for police officers, where many police officers are worn out working multiple jobs, doing part-time work because they got to make ends meet because they're not well paid by their local law enforcement. You know, we have the situation here in Georgia. You remember this from a couple of months ago, the entire uh, state trooper class was fired because it looked like they all cheated on a on a um, test on how to use the the laser speed detection devices. Got to deal with problems like that. Yes, uh, everyone could use improvement. My goodness, the president of the United States could use some improvement too. You could, I could, all of us could, police could. But there is a real and dangerous thing happening around the nation right now, where left wing activists through the organization Black Lives Matter, are trying to undermine police forces and put police at risk. The Black Lives Matter organization, you know, is different from the statement Black Lives Matter. The the statement is a statement of fact. It it is a statement that is not up for debate. The organization itself is, is radically progressive, hostile to Christianity, hostile to police forces, uh, intrinsically, by the way, uh, opposed to the idea that we should see past race, that we should be a colorblind society. No, it, it advocates strongly that that it should be a black organization. There are sadly some churches today that wish to go down the road of working with Black Lives Matters. They should avoid it like the plague. It is a progressive, far-left advocacy group. But we should remember that black lives do matter. You, you, you can say all lives matter, but but I hope you do understand from, from people who are really concerned about this issue why they're focused on saying black lives matter. Because, yes, all lives matter, but we're not seeing all lives in the Almond Arbery video or the George Floyd video. We're seeing black lives. And their lives don't seem to matter to some people. With the DA in, in, in Brunswick, they could cover it up or at least try to until the video came out. And the George Floyd situation, they probably would have gotten away with that as well had the video not come out. Black lives do matter. We can focus on that. But police lives matter too. The police matter. Police put their lives on the line every day. They have an 18 and a half, they're 18 and a half times more likely to be shot by an armed black man than an unarmed black man is to be killed by the police. Those are just the numbers. 
It is the, the life of a police officer can be disruptive to their families, can be disruptive and, and cause their children to fret and worry. They may not come home at night, depending on the situation. Every time they stop someone these days, they have to wonder, are they going to get shot by someone who is an activist against the police, who hates the police, is a criminal and, and willing to kill the police? There are bad police officers. There are bad people. Joe Biden said it the other day, you know, the 10 to 15% of the country is bad. No one's lighting him up on that. There are bad police officers. There are bad white people. There are bad black people. There are bad Hispanic people. And there are really good black people and really good white people and really good Hispanic people and really good cops and really good activists and really good liberals and really good conservatives and really good Democrats and really good Republicans with whom you may just disagree on things. But in these conversations so many people are having right now, uh, let's just acknowledge that uh, black lives do matter and police lives do matter as well. And we need to be careful in our conversations not to besmirch an entire group of people who keep us safe on a daily basis because of some of the bad people within their ranks. We should work to improve the standards to help the good people there maintain their reputations and not see these bad people. But come on, y'all. Some of what's happening out there right now, some of what I see even from some conservatives who who are they're going after police, particularly though on the left, few conservatives, a lot of people on the left, uh, that's just unacceptable and we need to call it out. Oh, the president's on Twitter right now making the situation worse. Just, man, unreal. Uh, you know, just a, a point someone just hit me on Twitter. You know how uh, the protesters are now screaming that People are painting with too broad a brush because they, they, they're getting them confused with the violent protesters and the violent protesters and the regular protesters aren't the same people. Kind of like how gun owners feel. Uh, gun owners uh, are always blamed for contributing violence and killing people in the country when, when some crazy guy breaks the law and gets a gun. It's, it's gun owners' problems. Or the police. It's, it's the police's fault. All of them when one of them does something wrong. Just... Oh, man, it, 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 people painting with the broad brush. Let's go to the phones. Cliff and Warner Robbins. Let's see. Can I get you? There you go, Cliff. How are you? I'm fine. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Thanks for calling. All right. Yeah, I've been thinking for some time about the situation with, uh, you know, defunding the police. They're calling for that for the wicked acts of the uh, the man in the George. Uh, I forgot his last name right now. But anyway, Floyd, George Floyd's case. But, you know, a while back, not recently, uh, Harvey Weinstein was convicted and sent to prison, and he's in the Hollywood business and industry. I didn't hear anybody coming out, well, let's, uh, let's, let's boycott Hollywood based on ba one bad actor. I know he wasn't <laughs> an actor per se, but... Well, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, though. imagine Hollywood calling for a boycott of Hollywood because of Harvey Weinstein? Well, you know what's so interesting? I'm glad, Cliff. That that's such a great point. Thank you for calling in. That that makes my day. Yes, the, you didn't boycott all of Hollywood because of let's see, Harvey Weinstein and and who else? Um, you had the James Franco situation, and who else? You had the um, oh, what what's his name? The the Brian Singer stuff. Who else? On and on and it goes. We, we got all of these people in Hollywood behaving badly, and there's no boycott Hollywood. Uh, but, uh, oh, my goodness gracious, um, it is, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, all right, 
I'm going to stop there. There's an election today. Did y'all know there was an election day? Uh, there is an election day. Brad Raffensperger is going to join me at the top of the next hour. There, We've got the congressional primaries in Georgia, and the Democratic turnout in the metro area has been massive in Gwinnett County. Uh, two times as many Democrats have turned out as Republicans. But now, I got to tell you, the media is seizing on this. We're getting more of the, will Georgia turn blue this time stories. Now, um, there is a massive Democratic turnout because in most parts of the state, there aren't any primaries on the Republican side. You know, I'm, I've am i mentioned before, I've got to vote in the Democratic primary day. I'm, I'm, as soon as the show is done, my uh, polling precinct is, is uh, just really kind of across the street from where my neighborhood is in the local church. And I will be going there. I will be casting my vote and I'll be voting in the Democratic primary. Why? Because in Bibb County, where I live, uh, all of the contested races are nonpartisan except for one. That is the district attorney race. And the district attorney race is going to be a partisan race on the Democratic primary. No Republicans qualified. Uh, so if you want to vote in any of the contested races to have an impact, you got to vote on the Democratic ballot. Because that's the only race. Uh, now, I mean, in my area, you know, we've got a mayoral race in Bibb County. I'll vote for my friend Larry Schlesinger uh, or Blake Sullivan uh, also would be good. Uh, and then Mallory Jones is on the on my county. He's my county commissioner and I have to vote for him because there have been times that my trash hasn't been picked up. And I call that guy and man, he gets my trash picked up quick. You know, when I was on city council, I actually got yelled at in the grocery store one time because someone's trash had not been picked up. I was at, at uh, those of you in Macon uh, know where the Publix is on Tom Hill senior. They're about to shut it down and move it. Uh, and I was in there one day and a guy came up to me and introduced himself, and he was very upset. His trash can had not been picked up, uh, and he was very livid about it. And he, he had tried to call me, but he hadn't actually tried to call me. He had called city council, and no one had relayed the message to me, and he was just hopping mad. He had all this trash outside, and it turns out when I started talking to him about it, he hadn't rolled his trash can down. Now, that, that, that y'all... The one thing you know in life is that you need to roll your trash can down to the curb before the trash trucks go by because they're not going to come back and get your trash. This is not trash pickup on demand. And this clown thought that for some reason he could he rolled his trash down and we should have them come back because, by God, he pays his taxes. That was always the worst. So I used to live across from Crazy Pete and Crazy Pete uh, came into my yard one day. And started yelling at me because I had I was on the uh, Sports Hall of Fame Authority in Georgia for a while. They had a wonderful facility, but they were beginning to wind it down. They were moving it out of the, out of the city. Uh, a, a lot of the big uh, the Georgia UGA and stuff they didn't want it there. And so I wrote, you know, we need a new courthouse. It's the perfect facility for it. And he came over and started yelling at me. Uh, I was no expert. How did I know this stuff? And uh, he he finally got really unhinged and started yelling at me. How many people did Dick Cheney and I kill that day? Seriously, he did. Uh, and <laughs> I never realized he was that far progressive. But um, then he starts yelling at me that I can't walk away from him. He pays my salary. Well, actually, he didn't. Um, but man, you get that. And, and Mallory, you call him. He's always so nice. He picks up your trash, gets the trash there. If, if they've missed your trash. 
So I'll be voting for him. Be a good city councilman. Make sure your citizens' trash is picked up. So do, do you want your your most bizarre thing you'll encounter today? I, I just saw this uh, reporter circulating a tweet from someone asking uh, if Amazon would deliver to the Seattle Capitol Hill Autonomous Free Zone or Cap Hill Autonomous Free Zone. And I thought, what on earth is this? So it turns out uh, that Antifa folks and others have established a six-block autonomous zone in the Cap Hill section of Seattle. They've walled it off with barricades. They've got teams setting up bathrooms, distributing food and water. They've disabled security cameras, uh, and they're policing the place themselves. And the uh, Seattle government seems to be letting this happen. Now, that place, uh, Seattle loves and condones this sort of stuff, so you're not going to see them suddenly vote Donald Trump, but it, it is bizarre. It is it is truly bizarre. Y'all, I I want to talk about something, and, and I'm, I am going into this. Let me admit, for those of you who can't tell from my voice by virtue of radio, that uh, I, I am very much a white guy. In fact, I just turned 45, 45-year-old, now officially middle-aged white dude. But I, I, got an, I got an email, and it struck me. I mean, just struck me to the core from a, a listener to my program who reads my website, The Resurgent, who is black. And he said he was really angry with what's happening and not in the way that you and I might think he's angry because he believes that George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery's death are tools of convenience. And what he means by that is Every single day, black people in this country are killed. They are either killed at the hands of, of criminals or police or through neglect in failing, crumbling systems. And the only time that they come up is when it's caught on video and social grievances from the left can be nursed and expanded and pushed. And that is his concern. It is his concern that we forget about all the other black people who have died through lack of good medical care where they live, through drug addiction, through crime, through a host of other issues, unless it can be caught on tape. And his frustration with that, and I, I was just I was just really, really struck by it, is he, he feels like un, unless it gets seen, it's ignored. And so we're seeing what happened with George Floyd. We're seeing what happened with Ahmaud Arbery. And we're not seeing what happens elsewhere. 
And, and his point, and this is the larger point of, of where he went, is that he is frustrated that people peddling progressive agendas are pushing essentially for expanded government care when he believes that it is the government itself that contributed to the collapse of these problems. It is the government itself that broke apart black families. It is the government itself that decided that you didn't need a dad. It is the government itself who put these kids in failing schools and won't let them out and won't let their parents get them out. It is the government in itself who passed expansive crime laws uh, that then allowed people to target the black community. It is the government itself that did all of these things. And the solution from the left is, hey, let's have more government, but we'll be in charge of it. There was a record night of violence in Chicago. More people killed overnight in Chicago uh, than I think at any time. The number of homicides in Chicago last night was at a tipping point. Overwhelmingly, if, if not all black, I do not know the names of all the victims and neither do you. And it goes unremarked upon by the media. It goes unremarked upon by the Democrats. It goes unremarked upon by Republicans. And I realize, again, it, it is awkward for me to be the guy to be here and say this because I am a, a now officially middle-aged white guy. But when your solution to the problem is to expand the agents through which the problem grew, it's probably not the real solution. And when you advocate for public policies and solutions and you ignore all of the other underlying issues, I, I, I think you got more problems. You know, the answer is not everything is systematically racist. There is racism. And we are, we are a nation that had slavery for 300 years. We had segregation for over 150 years. And, and now we're, what, 50 years removed from the Jim Crow era at best. They're going to be ongoing fallout. Slow rolling healing over time. But, man, I got to tell you, it is, it, it, I was just struck by this email that uh, this listener of mine just feels, as a black man, feels so put upon and and so outraged that we focus on the video deaths of Ahmed Arbery and George Floyd, and we should. But what about all the other people who are dying every day in this country who are black, who have been failed by government, failed by the system, and the solution is always to give them more of that which failed them? What about the school system? There's a big drive to get rid of police unions, what about the teacher unions? We can't get young black children who are struggling to read and write out of public schools because teachers unions don't want them to go anywhere else. They're, they're captive to the system. What about the, the government healthcare system? We got to give more government healthcare, not allow any free market reforms to the healthcare system. Cause you know, the free market is bad. And what about within these communities where there is violence and there is crime and it's black on black crime? It's, it, it's not white people coming in to, to commit the crime. It's, it's black on black crime. What do we do with that? Do we not talk about that? 
Do we believe it? You know, that there's this this idea. Some people now, I, I see it more and more on the right. I used to only see it on the left that if you're not in a particular community, you can't talk about it. So, for example, uh, if, if you did not go, if you did not join the military, don't talk about the military. Only left-wing hacks who had joined the military and hate it can talk about it. Or you can't talk about medical issues because you're not a doctor. Or you can't talk about issues within the black community because you're not black. We see this as society divides everyone up. But shouldn't we be concerned with the number of people being killed within the black community? The crime and, and the drugs and the failure of schools and the collapse of families. You know, this Black Lives Matters organization actually says that it, it is a, a, a Western thing. The, the, the Western, the nuclear parent, the nuclear parent household is a Western thing. They want to disrupt it. No one is opposed to people living in a community with the community all taking care of each other's children. But to undermine the nuclear family, because have we just given up on it? We've decided that the nuclear family is somehow not good. No, it's actually very good in all the data shows, and yet we, we've got to ignore that data because we don't want to make people feel bad who came from broken homes. We don't want to make people feel bad who have single moms. We don't want to make the single moms feel bad, so we're not allowed to talk about it. There's a lot of stuff we're not allowed to talk about, and, and that gets to, to this listener's email and his point. How much of this are we really allowed to talk about? Because there's a great deal more that we should talk about. And it's not happening in conversations in, in uh, black media voices. It's not happening in white media voices. It's not happening in the media. There are a host of problems, and it's not just police brutality. And it's not systematic racism. And a lot of people are trying to blame it on systematic racism when there are other problems, including an overly helpful government that decided that it could take away people's need to help themselves. And it did so lovingly and it did so to nurture and it did so because we they were at a time when the great society and the rest were passed. We were at a time where there was still a lot of racism in this country, openly so. But it didn't necessarily help people. And now we have this situation and we have these dead people in Chicago victims of violence, and it happens on a daily basis, and it never gets coverage. And when the right points out when there's a school shooting, we say, hey, look at all the people who got killed. No, 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 we're we're not going to look there. When do we ever look there? When do we ever look there? When do we ever look at the failures of the medical community? When do we ever look at the failures of the schools? We're not allowed to look at the teachers' unions. No, we can't look at the failures of public schools. Until we're really willing and able and honest to address these other issues. And you know, I, I and I'm not going to say that, you know what, conservatives have every answer. I'm not going to say that. I believe conservative philosophy helps getting people to be independent and, and liberty-minded and focusing on their own care. But we do have to have government involvement in some cases. We do have to have a social safety net for those who will not be able to take care of themselves. But it does seem to me to be worth considering maybe the government, particularly if if you believe the idea that the whole thing's racist, maybe the government has made the situation worse. I don't actually think that's necessarily the case, but in some cases it certainly has. I don't actually think we're, we're, we're dealing with systemic racism across the board. I really don't. But there's certainly racism. There are certainly institutions that ignored black voices. 
There are certainly institutions that ignored the black family. There are certainly institutions that could have been better. But there are a whole lot of institutions right now, including the media, that are ignoring those same things. They want to focus on this aspect of it because it was caught on tape, and you don't see the daily death toll. You, you don't see the daily inequality. You don't see the daily uh, lag in health care. You don't see the daily communities crying out because of crime and drugs in their communities. You don't see that. Nobody talks about that. And when you raise it as, as a white person, frequently when you raise these issues, you're, you're, you're not allowed to talk about these things. You're you just not. Well, nobody else is. Who's going to talk about them? When do we talk about these things publicly? Because I, I, I guarantee you there are actually people listening to this right now who are white, who are thinking, you know what? The reason the police do this is because of crime in the black community. And, and crime is so much more in the black community. And black on black crime is such a big thing. That's why the police do it. There are people who I guarantee you are out there saying that right now. And it would help if we actually started having conversations instead of letting those ideas fester. It would help if we actually had deeper conversations about what is going on and what can we do. And it's not all the system. At some point, you have to take individual responsibility. But let's not ignore all of that happening right now. Let's not ignore those deaths. Let's not ignore those people falling behind. Let's not ignore the collapse of of public schools. Let's not ignore any of these things. And yet we are. And so to go full circle, I have this, got this email from a listener who is black, who says, we should focus on the outrages of George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery caught on tape. But why do we only focus on those when caught on tape and not all the other outrages that are out there that should make your blood boil on a daily basis, not all because of government, not all because of systemic racism, but frequently within the black community and no white people seem to ever want to care or talk about it. I, and, you know, I, I did reply back. And one of the things I did, did say to him is, you know, I, there, I get the sense there is a fear in the media, in particular white people in, in the media, that you're not supposed to talk about this stuff. And that if you do somehow it's, it's dredging up racism, which, which can't be the case. There need to be conversations. And right now there aren't. And, that is as much of the problem as the rest of this. It, it's good we've begun the conversation, but I, I also have the sneaking suspicion it's going to be left by the wayside. That is a problem in and of itself. As, as these protests gather and and things, it, these protests continue, and there are more and more cries of of um, of injustice, and we've got a revolution. And you know, this is part of the problem: is the left can't help it. And Richards would say, the former governor, they can't help themselves. That they can't help it. Uh, they want to overthrow the system. Listen, you've got the New York Times peddling the 1619 Project that all things in this country are racist. The race was the foundational base of the country. Completely revised history. The left wants to upend all of American history, American society, and the Constitution. Where are the reasonable voices on the right, though, saying we do need to have these conversations? We just don't need to upend the whole system. Those, we need those voices, too, and we don't have them right now, and that's a problem. So have you been canceled yet? Have you been canceled yet? I I, I keep expecting, we're all going to be canceled. Maybe we could cancel the year. Uh, it would be great. 2020 is canceled. Okay, there's there's the reason I bring up canceling. Can we cancel 2020? Everybody's getting canceled. Have you? Do you know who Hartley Sawyer is? 
I don't know who Hartley Sawyer is. Let, let me, let me, I mean, I, I know for purposes of talking right now who Hartley Sawyer is. It, this is the, the dumbest story of the day. He is 35 years old. He was on Young and the Restless. And now he's on, well, he was on The Flash. And he played Elongated Man. Ralph Dibney was Elongated Man on The Flash TV show on The CW. Well, he was there. Let's see. Uh, he wor- was on The Flash from 2017 until now. He was a, a, a recurring role in season four and then was there in season five and six. And now he's been fired Gone. Why? Because of a series of tweets he posted from 2009 to 2014. So from 2009 to 2014, uh, he posted things on social media and he's now been fired. And it, it just, it's, it's, Let's see, he wrote, the only thing keeping me from doing mildly racist tweets is the knowledge that Al Sharpton would never stop complaining about me, uh, he wrote in 2012. In 2014, he wrote, enjoyed a secret boob viewing at an audition today. Uh, and and he, he several other, my words, he, he issued an apology. But y'all, listen, uh, his statements uh, had a lot of them were very offensive. They're 2009 to 2012. Is he the same person in 2020 that he was in 2009? Is he the same person in 2020 that he was in 2010? I mean, he was he was a teenager, and now he's he's 35 years old. And Adam Rappaport, same thing happening. You may not know who Adam Rappaport is. Adam Rappaport, the editor in chief of uh, Bon Appetit magazine subscriber here we used to be actually i don't subscribe right now um he he's quit he was pushed out uh there was a, a rebellion among staffers who said that uh minority voices at the magazine were being shoved aside one said that uh minority voices were not getting compensated when appearing on videos there's no truth to that apparently but that didn't let the internet stop no the internet fired it up uh they pulled up a picture of him from 2017 in a halloween costume and then they, they you know, a, a, what's her name? Uh, Allison Roman. Allison Roman is the food writer for the New York Times who got into a, a tiff with Christy Teigen. And Allison Roman dressed as Amy Winehouse in 2009 as a Halloween costume. And people pounced on that and said she was um, ridiculing ethnic minorities by dressing like that in 2009. The cultural revolutionaries are turning and, and internet bullies. And you know, I've, I've got a theory. Many of the people who are the internet bullies were the kids who were bullied as kids. And now they have the power of the internet and the clout. And they are just as nasty as the others. It is Lord of the Flies on the left right now. Piggy got to die. <laughs> My son is reading reading Lord of the Flies right now. But in that, that's exactly what's happening on the left right now. It is an American cultural revolution. You know the great big difference between the Chinese cultural revolution and the American cultural revolution? In China, those people didn't live. The ones malpurged in the str- constant struggle, they didn't live. In, in this country, they're all going to live, and it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens. And all these people, by the way, are on the left. All of the people being purged are on the left. 
they're just not that far left. They're the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks are purging the party. And and it's fascinating to watch this dynamic happening on the left. Uh, but all these people, they, it's not like they're going away. They'll be rehabilitated in some way. They'll make some big contribution. People will say nice things about them and they'll slowly start coming back. And the odds are it's all very fake, which of course, you know, will lead to a greater purge later when people decide they didn't really mean it. They were lying. We must be more violent. It's fascinating, humorous to watch this. You know, as long as they're fighting with each other, they're not coming for us. So, but be warned, this is going to continue in this country. Now, when we come back, let's shift gears. We have an election here in Georgia today, primary elections. Not a lot of contested races out there. Congressional races are around the state. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, he's going to join me to talk about this. New voting machines happening in the state of Georgia. Fulton County naturally having all sorts of problems. They always do in the in the state. We'll cover all this when we come back. Father's Day can be stressful trying to find the perfect gift for dad. Thankfully, Tommy John, the revolutionary underwear and clothing brand, knows that comfort is for everyone. Yep, even your dad. So give him the softest, most breathable base layer he's ever worn. Their new and improved men's underwear is now twice as durable as his current pair and infinitely more luxurious, guaranteed. Plus, Tommy John is offering their best Father's Day deal ever with 25% off site-wide, including easy-to-gift sets that you can order straight from your phone directly to your dad's door. Tommy John's has super soft underwear, undershirts, lazy day joggers. In fact, I'll tell you the truth. Um, they're lazy day joggers. They sent me a pair of them and my wife saw them and she's like, are you seriously going to wear these? And around the house, not only do I, oh my goodness, they're so comfortable. They are genuinely comfortable. And even my wife's like, yeah, I wish I had a pair of those because uh, they're super soft and they're warm. They're great. Now, remember, get your order in before June 17th to ensure your gift arrives for Father's Day. Tommy John is the perfect gift for all the dads in your life. Deliver comfort to your dad's door with 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Eric. That's TommyJohn.com slash Eric for 25% off site-wide. See the site for... Hello, hello, Georgia and the rest of the nation. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, should you like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five is the phone number. It is election day in Georgia. People are going to the polls across the state of Georgia. Uh, we've got the new machines at play in the state as well. Uh, there are ballot. There are always issues in Fulton County, and there are issues I- related to ballots. You know, in in North Fulton, uh, in North Fulton, it is the absentee balloting problem. There were so many people who had absentee ballots, uh, applications that a lot of them didn't get them or they got them late and didn't return them. I know a number of people today who had to go for, uh, file provisional ballots because they'd gotten absentee ballots at home, but then they didn't actually return them because they got them so late. They just decided to show up today in South Fulton. This is the Atlanta area. For those of you outside that area, uh, there were machine problems this morning. They appear to be isolated in that area. Uh, they are not statewide problems in the area, but you know, every election, this is part of the thing you got to understand though, every single election, there are those, uh, political agitators who claim there are a host of problems that if only we would listen to them, these problems would not exist. If only we would do it their way, these problems would not exist. 
And you got to weed through all of that stuff to get what is actually going on out there right now uh, and what can actually be done out there right now. And frankly, today is the election. Show up, show up and vote. If you haven't voted absentee, show up and vote. If you don't know who to vote for, I've got some recommendations depending on your part of the state. Uh, you can text the word ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777 here in middle Georgia. Uh, I, I thought I could vote for Beth Camp. Uh, she's replacing Ken, uh, Ken Pullen, but too far outside my area. I don't have any contested races as a result on my Republican ballot. So I'll be voting in the Democratic primary because my local DA, David Cook, uh, who has been a very good DA, is in a highly contested race. And as a result of that uh, contest, I'm going to vote. I mean, it's the only contested race on the ballot other than the nonpartisan races. Now, everywhere you go in the state, you're going to have judges. You're going to have Supreme Court and you're going to have Court of Appeals. Vote for the incumbents, please. Uh, Regardless of where you are in the state, you'll have the same races for the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals in Georgia. Vote for the incumbents. It is is critically important you vote for those incumbents. They are being challenged uh, by left-wing activists who are kind of probing the system trying, hoping to to get them thrown out of office. It would actually be a big deal if they did. And part of the problem right now, honestly, is that nobody really knows because of the pandemic. No one has really any sense of what's going on on the ground. As far I was talking to a campaign operative last night, he said the numbers are just crazy. They've never seen the number of people voting like are voting in his area, and largely because of absentee balloting. Uh, and they just, nobody knows what to predict. It's, it's, and you know, as a political, former political consultant, this is always the fun time because you really have no idea. And today's the day I would always sit in my hammock all day and just, just wait for the polls to come in. Cause there's literally nothing you can do on election day. If you're a political consultant, uh, but there is somebody who has a lot going on today. And yet he's taken time out of his busy schedule to join us for a little bit. The secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger joining me now from Atlanta. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. What about you? I am doing well. So, so today's the day as a candidate or consultant, you can do absolutely nothing. And this is the day I'm sure you're fielding reports from all over the state about different issues. <laughs> so oh. how's it looking out there? Well, we're actually in Cobb County right now, and it is just running a room. But that goes to the confidence of the Cobb County election officials. Obviously, we're hearing about the Fulton County uh, failures. It's really frustrating. I live in Fulton County. But it's happening in North Fulton, South Fulton, and Central Fulton, all over the county. They had two additional months uh, to get ready. They've had those machines in place for six months. Uh, they could have been training, training, and retraining their folks. But uh, they just have user error of the poll workers, uh, and it's just unacceptable. And that's why we opened up an investigation last week. We had the issues with the absentee ballots that um, just people applied early. They never got them. Uh, or they got them late, and that's it's just unacceptable. I know the commissioners, you know, they're hearing from their voters, but they're upset, and they're seeing these system-wide Fulton failures. Well, you know, I, I want to focus on this for a minute because every time this happens, there are stories, and it doesn't matter whether it was Kathy Cox or Karen Handel or Brian Kemp or you, uh, the media blames the Secretary of State for these, but these are county boards of elections who run these elections, uh, and and they oversee them, and it seems like it's always the same counties that have the same problems, and you're not responsible for it. No, if, if we were responsible for Fulton, we would have cleaned house a long time ago, and I would have put in the team like I put in to stand up this absentee ballot program. You think about it, six days, we got the applications out for the absentee ballot. 
that's something that even the private sector probably couldn't have handled. We we have a great team, but they all come out of you know the private sector experience, so we know how to get things done. But with Fulton, you know, the voters were at the whim of that, the Fulton County Election Board and then the, the officials that they hire. And so they're the ones that are suffering, the voters at the end of the day. But I look at what's going on in Lowndes County. You look at what's going on in Richmond County, Columbia County, Muskogee County. Other counties get it right. Out of 159 counties, there's just one that just stands out there like a really bad apple. And it's, it's sad because it's the voters. I voted absentee, and I'm glad I did based on what I see with the Fulton failures today. Well, now let me ask you about uh, voting absentee because you, you you really did get the jump on this, and, and uh, there were some people who were somewhat critical of you. I'm, I'm glad you did. I, I actually decided I'd just go vote in person because I want to see the new machines today, and, and well, I ran out the clock too, let's be honest. But at the same time, uh, you, you had massive success with absentee balloting. Yes, we did. Well, one of the things that many people don't understand is there is a, a – really a rightful concern about the absentee ballot for many other states. But in Georgia, last year, with House Bill 316, we made it illegal to do ballot harvesting. That's a good thing. We also allowed us, the Secretary of State's office, to join ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Center, so we could update our voter rolls. In Los Angeles County, they have one and a half million more registered voters than people that live in the county. Now, what does that lead to? Dirty lists lead to voter fraud. And so Georgia has done a really good job. And we have signature match. We also ask for your uh, birth date on the application. So I feel really good about our process. We, we have guardrails in place. And the General Assembly you know, understands that we need to have appropriate guardrails. We want everyone to vote. We want to make sure that it truly is a person that lives in Georgia, lives in the right district, and you know, fills all the qualifications to be a lawful voter. Now, what do you say to people who would want to expand the absentee process or get rid of in-person voting altogether? Uh, get, uh, you mean get rid of and go to – Yeah, uh, you know, there, there are a, a number oh, of people no. on the left right now who want to just get rid of in-person oh. voting altogether and just do absentee voting. Oh, uh, absolutely not. If you really look at – in Georgia, oh, up until this election, only 7% of the people – of our voters would actually vote, you know, through the absentee process. People like showing up at the polls. It's really, and it's bipartisan. Both both folks uh, like showing up at the polls. It's it's just in our DNA, perhaps. And I think that's the way we need to go. We just need to make sure that we have the appropriate guardrails in place and make sure that we have up-to-date equipment, which we put in place this year. So I feel really comfortable where we are. Uh, we also have right now uh, a bill in, in place that's over on the House side to shorten lines, and that would be a great thing to do, uh, and that would really help You know, two years out when we have more congressional races. Now, regarding that shortening lines, one of the issues that we deal with every year here in Georgia is we largely rely on senior citizens to help run the polls with, with the various poll workers in the state, and every year there seems to be a concern that we're not going to have enough people, bigger concern this year because of the virus. Uh, can can you talk about that and, and what can be done to to help alleviate that situation? Well, it's really poll worker recruitment needs to go year year round and, and really an off year uh, cycles to get people uh, really uh, first of all awareness how important that role is and it really requires people to have the most important margin in your life is time margin 
because it doesn't pay that much to be a poll worker. And that's why, you know, generally you'll find, you know, people, they've, they've, you know, finished up their career. And so now they have some time to really give back to the community. And it's true community service when you're a poll worker. But it's very important because if you don't have poll workers, then how would you run an election? So there, it's critical. And obviously with COVID and the average age of our poll workers being 70, it, it, it just threw some challenges there for the counties. But uh, the counties have really done a, a good job, you know, by and large. Other than the issues I'm seeing in Fulton County today, I'm really pleased with, you know, the efforts of our county election officials. Now, let, let, let's expand this a little more because this is the this is the first year we're using the new machines. Uh, how have they been received so far? Very well. I think what I hear the most, I guess the, the comment I hear the most is when voters say, I really feel like I'm, my vote counts. So I could really see my choices before I actually you know, put it in the scanner and they could actually verify that that's who they wanted. It just is really giving them that internal confidence that uh, it actually was recorded. With the DRE machine, sometimes you wondered when you pressed all those buttons, did it actually get everything I wanted? You know, and after you press the button, you can never really verify your choices. Here, you print out the ballot. You can look at all your choices, verify your choices, and then you can put it on the scanner. And people just really like that. And I think that's good. When we have confidence in the system, uh, the more areas we have confidence, I think the more stable it makes our society, that people know, hey, that person really did win, and that person really did lose. And then when someone really does lose, they can't be running around trying to make money off it for the next three or four years. <laughs> well said. Uh, now, uh, one last question for you here. The, when the election ends this evening and we go through, we, the, the absentees are counted and the provisionals are counted. You begin to certify the results. What sort of things does the Secretary of State's office look at retrospectively to see what can be done better the next time? Well, we'll look at the whole process. Uh, you know, what uh, could we have improved what would have been something maybe even faster? What could we streamline? Uh, you know, there a lot was thrown at us. Uh, we're always going to look at do a 360 and look at best practices. And then we'll also look at other states. If the other states do some innovation. We say, well, that's a great idea. Uh, and obviously, if there's things that happened and um, they warrant investigations, then we'll do investigations. We've already opened one on Fulton County. Well, good. Uh, yeah, I, I'm seeing it trending on Twitter right now is, is what's happening there with those lines. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for stopping by today and, and for rolling out these new machines. I, I hear good things about them. I'm excited to try to use them today. Well, good. Yeah. Let us know what your experience was like. Thanks so much, Jared. I, I sure will. Thank you. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger joining me from uh, Cobb County today. Uh, as he goes around the state looking at what's going on, it is an election day in Georgia. You can get out and vote until 7 o'clock tonight across the state if you haven't cast your absentee ballot. And you got new voting machines to try out when you go. It is election day in Georgia. And, man, I got to tell you, it is fascinating to have seen. Well, what do we do several weeks ago? We had protests. The people who want to open up the country. And the media shunned them and shamed them. And then we had this call for vote by mail. We can never go back to the polling locations again. We can never do it. Vote by mail. Now all of that has disappeared. Poof, gone. And now we're focused on, on we got to have protests. We got to march in the streets. We, we got to do these things. Listen to this. Uh, Monta, I think the Washington Free Beacon put this together. Credit where it's due. I think it's them put this together on the, the media's reversal. 
and a far more serious scene. Uh, watch these images. Really just an ugly, a dangerous scene at the state capitol in Michigan. As we look at this extreme group of people. Those pictures and those clashes really show um, the, the chaos. And you're out there with, with, um, with guns? I don't want to call them rallies. They're not protests. These quote-unquote protests, I, I don't even think that that's the right word uh, because protests are supposed to be peaceful. I'm not embarrassed to say that I was afraid. It's not clear what they're demanding, demanding to infect other people, demanding to make other people sick. It's dangerous, and these people can take this home with them and hurt their families and all the rest. I'd like to ask them if they're willing to sign away their right to treatment, if and when they get infected. Who the hell do you think you are? I don't understand what is wrong with people. Stay at home. <laughs> I, I, I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. That ain't a riot, what we're seeing right now in Minneapolis. Excuse me, any reasonable person would say we shouldn't be destroying other people's property, but these are not reasonable times. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. The beautiful thing is we're seeing citizens who are caring and concerned. They're hitting the streets. Heartwarming to see so many people turn out peacefully. You know, Brooke, I think this is a march, really. But as they're coming off, it's peaceful. They're saying peaceful protests. But across the country, uh, uh, it's bringing people together, community with unity. People are risking COVID to explain to this country that we're fed up. Um, 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 <laughs> y'all, it is striking. I mean, it really is striking to see the see see the reversal here. Listen to this NBC News medical contributor. Absolutely, Nicole. I mean, I was out with, with other physicians and nurses in Seattle over the weekend where we had a Doctors for Justice march. And what were we doing? We we're passing out masks. We we're making sure if you didn't have a mask and you had a megaphone, you were protected. I had some of my colleagues were handing out Purell. We want as much as anything for social justice to take the center stage because poverty, racism, they actually they have actually bigger killers than coronavirus by the statistics. So this is the right thing to do, but to do it safely. So masks all the time, social distancing as you can do it, Purell, minimizing touching your face, those things, we keep beating that drum. Those are important. If you're a doc, a nurse, if you're a healthcare professional out in a protest, Please be somebody that's passing on this message and evangelizing in it. Bring masks, bring Purell with you. So there's a way to do it and hopefully do it safely. I will say we should all be expected that cases are going to rise. We have a study out of Germany, Nicole, that showed people that went to a carnival, uh, transmission rates had increased almost threefold amongst individuals that went to a carnival in Germany. And so wow. we should expect an increase in cases and it's going to stress our healthcare system. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be out there protesting. It just, it's fascinating. They would not give this advice to the people who wanted to go back to work. They would not give this advice to the people whose businesses were going bankrupt. But they want to give it to the protesters now. They, they don't want to shame these protesters. Uh, if you're white protesting because you're going bankrupt, well, by God, uh, let your business burn. But but now, no, no, let's get out there and put on a face mask and protest. The, the whole thing is just uh, hypocritical. Y listen, I, I have a fear that there will be a second wave of this virus and that it will be bad. And it will be made worse because epidemiologists across this country 
and the news media have completely discredited themselves. When they told everyone to shelter in place to flatten the curve, and we did, and the curve was flattened, then they said, no, no, you can't leave yet because we haven't cured it. And then you definitely can't leave to protest about reopening, but by God, get out there on the streets as quickly as you can and, and protest injustice in America, unless the injustice is you being shut out of your business and going to jail for daring to cut someone's hair. They have discredited themselves. You know, we need an honest media. We need uh, objective scientists. It's like, okay, have you heard about the J.K. Rowling thing? J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, uh, is uh, opposed to getting rid of womanness. Now, what do I mean by that? What does she mean by that? Well, she doesn't like the fact that that people will come out and say that uh, people can have periods. She actually responded and said, actually, it's there's a name for that. It's not people. It's called women. Only women have periods. And trans activists and, and leftists are trying to burn this woman who is solidly on the left. And they're trying to burn her down for daring to say only women can have periods. Daniel Ratcliffe, who played Harry Potter in the movies, came out and said, you know, uh, the medical community actually says that that trans women are women they, and they know more than Joe and me, J.K. Uh, Rowling. Okay, so you've got a you've got a dude mansplaining to a woman that other people than women can be women and citing medical professionals. What about the science? Uh, There's not a bit of science out there that says men can become women or women can become men. Not a not a bit of it out there. And yet uh, that's what that's what they do. That that's what they agitate for. Y'all, I got a man. It is it is amazing to me for all the all of you who are just waking up and realizing how the scientific medical community has been hijacked by these people. Been saying it for a while that when when they come out and they say, you know, boys can become girls, girls can be you're born gay or straight, but you get to pick your gender. That's not science. That is that is religious dogma. And now we're seeing it with the protests. You can't go protest to open your business, but you can protest this injustice that the media gives you permission for. Uh, the hypocrisy knows no, but they are discrediting themselves before our very eyes. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And let's see. Um, Oh, let's see. Um, This is, hang on, this is worth playing. Joe Biden has an advertisement out. Uh, We should play this, see what it is. I haven't seen it yet. A Republican friend of mine sent it along and said, oof, uh, this could be powerful. What is is it? The history of this nation teaches us that in some of our darkest moments of despair, we've made some of our greatest progress. The 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments followed the Civil War. The greatest economic growth in world history grew out of the Great Depression. Civil Rights Act of 1964 and Voting Rights Act of 65 came in the tracks of Bull Connor's vicious dogs. To paraphrase Reverend Barber, it's in the morning where we find hope. It's going to take more than talk. We've had talk before. We've had protests before. 
you've got to now vow to make this at least an era of action and reverse the systemic racism with the long overdue concrete changes. Well, that's what the presidency is. The duty to care. To care for all of us. Not just those who vote for us, but all of us. Not just our donors, but all of us. It's going to take the work of a generation. We stand together, finally as one America. We'll rise stronger than we were before. Look, that is a good ad. It is a good ad. Uh, and it, it is probably a measure of the ad that uh, all sorts of uh, Trump supporters are pouring down vitriol on it right now. But, you know, listen, uh, give the man his due. He, he put a good ad. I just, y'all, I'm, I'm still, even when I see the Joe Biden, uh, when I see him, the Joe Biden of today, now I realize he's had some work done and he can deny it all he wants. He's had some work done. But the Joe Biden of today is not the Joe Biden of four years ago. The problem the president has, though, is there are a lot of people who don't care. The president is online right now tweeting about how um, this is this is a, a conspiracy. You know, the cops who shared, shoved the 75-year-old guy. He could have been Antifa. The president needs to delete his Twitter account and focus on, on getting people back to work and keeping them safe. And right now, you know, Tim Alberta, who is of National Review pedigree, is conservative, now writes at Politico, has had enough of Trump, has never been a fan of Trump, uh, doesn't like Trump. Uh, it writes critically of Trump, but I, I've I've got to I've I've got to tell you that um he is noticing a trend among Repub- younger Republicans in particular to abandon the law and order sentiment of the president. Now, and I, you need to understand this because it, it has nothing to do with being soft on crime, but it has to do with the, uh, abandoning old rhetoric and, and changing the way we talk about the issue, recognizing there are problems. And you do have some voices. For example, Tucker Carlson went after Nikki Haley. Uh, for daring to to express some level of empathy in the George Floyd situation, wanted to toe the line. And listen, Tucker's got a massive, massive bully pulpit out there, uh, and he is going to be able to cajole some Republicans to hold the line. I, I'm I'm not sure though how well the line can be held, except for the fact that I'm convinced the left overreacts on all this stuff. They're going to overplay their hand on this stuff. The left always overplays their hand on this stuff, and they will do it again. Uh, yeah, I mean, for example, let, let's take the, the situation at the White House. Here's the Attorney General, William Barr, talking about it. The image has, has somewhat been created and uh, miscreated in the sense that I haven't seen any videos on TV of all the violence uh, that was happening preceding that. You were hit or something or thrown, something was thrown at you? Well, I, I did go to the park uh, before uh, the actual uh, uh, operation to uh, move out the perimeter. And I personally saw projectiles thrown, and two were thrown at me. And the police officers there and my security detail made me move back because they said that projectiles had been landing in a certain area, rock, things like rocks. Bottle was thrown at me. 
they weren't the peaceful protests. Now, I will say this. The the park police did lie when they say no tear gas was used. Uh, tear gas is not just a, one particular type of gas. It, it is a variety of things to make people tear up and cough. They use smoke canisters and pepper spray or pepper pellets together to get people out of the park uh, to clear it for the president. We now know that the original story as well from the White House wasn't quite truthful. Uh, there was some level of coordination there. Uh, but... The media tried to play this all as super peaceful, and it really wasn't that peaceful. Uh, it, it never underestimate the ability of Democrats to overplay their hands. In fact, I, I'm told reliably by, by a, one of the senior Democrats that they are deeply concerned about uh, the the far left within the Democratic Party right now. They're deeply concerned about the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes of the world uh, pushing the party further to the left on a host of these issues. In fact, uh, the Democratic Party leaders are behind the scenes pushing back very hard on the idea of fund, defunding the police because they're afraid that these progressives are going to overplay their hands. Uh, it, it, it's it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch Donald Trump get reelected after all this. Because, you know, if the election were held today, a whole lot of people just would stay home. Uh, they're just disgusted. And and that actually helps Biden more than Trump. Um, you're going to see uh, a reckoning, though, on the Democratic Party side. And here's the thing. I just I want to throw this out there for you. This isn't really what I wanted to talk about here. I wanted to throw this out there, though. Can you imagine uh, that ad I just played? Let me let me and again this is this is this is worth doing. I want to play this ad again. I this this thought pops into my head as I was watching the first time. Uh, let me play this ad again. I want you to listen to this. This is Joe Biden's message, clearly targeting black voters. Maybe because he's not going to have a black vice president. I don't know. Um, listen, listen to this. In some of our darkest moments of despair, we've made some of our greatest progress. 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments followed the Civil War. The greatest economic growth in world history grew out of the Great Depression. Civil Rights Act of 1964 and Voting Rights Act of 65 came in the tracks of Bull Connor's vicious dogs. To paraphrase Reverend Barber, it's in the morning we find hope. It's going to take more than talk. We've had talk before. We've had protests before. We've got to now vow to make this at least an era of action and reverse the systemic racism with the long overdue concrete changes. I'm going to stop it there. Uh, we got to reverse systemic racism with long overdue concrete changes. What happens to the Democratic Party if Joe Biden does get elected in November and none of this happens? What happens to that party? I, I'll tell you what happens to that party. It, it, you know, everybody's looking for the crack up of the Republican Party. There's going to be a crack up of the Democratic Party if that happens. If if that actually happens, you're going to see the the Democratic Party turn on itself, and they are going to head towards the deep thoughts of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. And it's going to end badly for them. They will be, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez could potentially lose her own reelection bid 
because, you know, she chased out Amazon from her, uh, put a bunch of people out of work in, in Queens or Brooklyn or wherever she was. A lot of people there very upset with her. Uh, the, the, the great mind, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a, an advisor to, to Joe Biden is going to throw you. Listen, she backed Bernie Sanders. She didn't want Biden. She didn't even go for Elizabeth Warren. She went with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, a man who's not even a member of the Democratic Party, if Joe Biden were to do all of this, run those sorts of ads, get elected, and nothing changes, good Lord, you would see the crack up of the Democratic Party. I mean, look what's happening with the woke progressives right now turning on each other. You got the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit magazine chased out the door for something that happened years ago. Uh, Allison Roman of the New York Times nearly chased out for something she did in 2009. You got Refinery29, some lifestyle site. Uh, that person was chased out as well because she, she didn't listen enough. I mean, you're having the purges beginning on the Democratic side. Uh, they just haven't inside the party. They will. And now, Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But here in D.C., it's so weird. It's like everybody is like a spy. Like, it's so bizarre. It's like you could go out and get a cup of coffee. And the person that's like sitting at the table in the corner of the restaurant is like, you know... Like, then they go and text all of their friends that they saw so-and-so at this cafe, and it's like triangulation. It's super weird. It's just, like, super weird. That was Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, full disclosure there, we didn't change a word in what she said. We did not change a word in what she said. And she is increasingly a voice that is listened to on the left and within the Democratic Party. It, now, it, let's, let's just be honest here. Joe Biden is giving her a head pat. But, man, if Joe Biden doesn't do the things he sets out to do on this campaign, the Democratic Party is going to fracture badly. You really are going to see the, the, the far left really fundamentally take over that party. It's going to be intense to watch. It's going to be kind of funny to watch. Uh, I would much rather it happen if if Joe Biden doesn't get elected. But my goodness, one way or the other, it's going to happen. The, le- the far left in this country increasingly cannot be contained by the Democratic Party. And every single time they try to advance in this country and they get nowhere because the Democratic establishment stops them, they just get angrier. And they get more people to come to the And again, this is important. Bernie Sanders was not a Democrat. He's an independent. He's a Democratic socialist. He's on the left. He's not of the Democratic Party. And there actually is a difference still between the Democrats and the Democratic Socialists, although you'd never know it, because the overwhelming number of the most vocal people on the left are socialists. They're not actually within the mainstream of the Democratic Party. Their day of reckoning for that party, it's coming. Just as Donald Trump was disruptive of the Republican Party, they will be disruptive of the Democratic Party. The difference is that Donald Trump got to run against Hillary Clinton, who everybody hated, and that gave him a shot. Joe Biden, even if he wins, people like Joe Biden, and he's not a fundamentally transformative person. He can't be. The man is 80 years old. Now, he could die in office, and and his vice president could become president. He could, God forbid, but it could happen. I mean, th- this is why Democrats are, are staking so much on vice president. But man, y'all... 
if Joe Biden becomes president, he serves for four years and leaves because he's saying he's going to be a one-term guy. He serves for four years and he leaves and he hasn't made the changes that he said he would make. You're going to see the Democratic Party captured by the left and it is going to be intense to behold. Hello there. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I've put this off. I keep putting it off. There's other stuff that comes up, but hey, there is a website and it annoys me. Denews. That that's actually D N Y U Z D N Y U Z. It deserves to go out of business just for that name. Nonetheless, there is a oh, it's it's in the New York Times. Let's go with the New York Times here. Here we go. Uh, Astrid Herndon. Astrid Herndon is. He's just a reporter for the national political reporter based in New York City. The headline, is this the year Georgia flips? With both Senate seats in play and President Trump up for re-election in November, Georgia Democrats are telling anyone who will listen, this time it's real. There's a joke about Atlanta's most popular sports team and how they often fail to reach their potential. The Atlanta Hawks franchise has gone more than 60 years without an NBA championship. In 2017, during Super Bowl 51, the Atlanta Falcons were up 28-3 in the third quarter against the New England Patriots. You know what happened next. Georgia Democrats, long a source of hope for the National Party, are seeking to avoid a similar reputation. In 2016, prominent supporters of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign famously crowed about a changing electoral map that made Georgia winnable for Democrats only to lose the state and the election. The following year, Democrats watched an expensive special election campaign slip through their fingers. And the year after that, Stacey Abrams, a former state House minority leader, captured national attention and drove record turnouts but lost the race for Governor Brian Kemp, a Republican who has stuck close to President Trump since his election. But now, now, with two Senate seats in play and Mr. Trump on the ballot in November, Georgia Democrats are telling anyone who will this time is real. State elected officials are urging national Democrats, including Joe Biden, the presumptive presidential nominee to make a big investment in the state, pumping the type of staffing and advertising money into Georgia that is usually reserved for Wisconsin's and Michigan's. The dream scenario, which would include presidential and Senate victories, but also wins in the state legislature, could upend the balance of power in Washington and provide a roadmap for other Southern Democrats who are seeking to make gains after years of being shut out. On Tuesday, Democrats will choose from seven candidates in the race and uh, to against an incumbent Republican, David Perdue. The favorite Tuesday is John Ossoff, 33, who lost the closely watched special election in 2017 and has returned to seek high office. He earned the endorsement of Representative John Lewis, the civil rights icon. If no candidate receives 50% support in the crowded primary field, there will be a runoff. 
Part of this is the collapse of the GOP Southern strategy, Mr. Ossoff said, referring to the controversial political playbook attributed to President Nixon used to win over white voters in the South. We were meant to be distracted by racial and cultural divisions, but Georgia has moved beyond that. And the coalition that's already being built statewide right now transcends race, transcends urban and suburban and rural divides and transcends regionalism. And we're seeing this play out across the South. Oh, good Lord. Um, it is is fascinating to me. It is genuinely fascinating to me that we have a scenario where the Democratic Party every year, and by the way, they leave out 2012 and 2014. In 2012, Obama tried to make a play for the state because the Democrats said it was winnable. In 2014, remember you had all the polls came out that said Michelle Nunn was ahead and Jason Carter was ahead. Michelle Nunn ahead of David Perdue, Jason Carter ahead of Nathan Deal. And just, just, we need a little money. We need a little money. And in 2016, the same thing. In 2018, the same thing. And now, and now, you know what's so interesting is that Stacey Abrams used to predict 2022, not 2020. 2022 or 2024 would be the time that Georgia went blue. And, and you know, we may still be, and, and the state the Republican Party in the state of Georgia does have problems. The state of the Republican Party in Georgia, they really do have fundamental problems. The party needs money. The party needs better organization. David Schaefer, thankfully, the party chairman, is doing a very good job at reinvesting in the infrastructure of the state party of the state that grew stagnant under Nathan Deal, who really did not invest the way he should have in the Republican Party as a whole. Now, Deal had been a Democrat turned Republican, uh, not very invested in the long-term health of the Republican Party in the state, unless you were in the Gainesville area, in the North Georgia area. The state is making a bigger commitment, or the Republicans in the state are making a bigger commitment. Now, you have problems in the state, though. You've got Nathan, uh, you've got David Ralston tied up in scandal. In fact, you've got David Ralston today down in the, the Peachtree City Noonan area spending uh, resources to try to help a an opponent to an incumbent Republican because the incumbent Republican is against corruption. That's right, you heard me. The Speaker of the House, David Ralston, is spending Republican donor dollars to beat a Republican who is against corruption. You got problems there. Across the board, you got problems for the GOP in Georgia. They should not take anything for granted. But the idea that the state is suddenly at the cusp of becoming blue is not really true. And we've heard the story over and over and over again. Listen, if the GOP doesn't do something in the state, it's going to happen. But the president is still ahead in polling against Joe Biden, even though he's had a very bad time. It's just striking to see where this could go, although it could incentivize Joe Biden to pick Stacey Abrams to be his vice presidential nominee. In February, when COVID-19 was a distant concept to most Americans, gold was in the $1,500 range. The Dow was over 29000 Today, as the virus tears apart the economy, gold's over $1,700, and the Dow is around 24000 to 26000 Wobbling in between, major market disruptions favor gold, instability, uncertainty, impending inflation, they all favor gold. If you've not diversified some of your savings into gold, there's no better time than today. Protect your savings from further setbacks in the stock market. Gold, it's a safe haven. 
The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or your eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. It's perfect for those who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any more downturns in the stock market. Look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold tends to be a safeguard savings. Contact Birch Gold Group to request a free info kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. The comprehensive 20-page kit reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA or your 401k out of risky stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA. To get your no cost, no obligation kit, go to birchgold.com slash Erickson. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. There is, you know, I mentioned that there is a a big Democratic turnout in Georgia. There's all these stories. Is Georgia going to turn blue? And they're looking at the primary turnout. But you got to remember that the major contest, now there are in some parts of the state. So you've got the the 6th, the 7th, the 14th, and the 9th. And those are high population areas of the state. Uh, And you've got contested primaries. You've got the the, um, Tom Grave seat. You've got the Doug Collins seat. You've got the Lucy McBath seat. You've got the Rob Woodall seat. Those are contested races for Republicans, and there are a ton of people running in those races. But on the Democratic side, you've also got some highly contested races in, for example, Gwinnett County. So in Gwinnett County, you've got this big wave underway moving the the county more towards the Democrats. And the Democrats are turning out. So you're going to see these stories come out about how, oh, look at the primary. Democrats overwhelmed Republicans in the state. Yeah, except uh, when you get into the local elections, a whole lot of people are voting in the I mean, I'm voting in the Democratic ballot. Because that's the only contested race. David Perdue's race, not contested. The president's race, not contested. In my area, congressmen, not really contested. There are two people put their names on the ballot, but nobody takes them seriously. Um, the state house race, not contested. State Senate race, not contested. So it depends on where you go in the state where you're going to see this turnout. And and the media will make a big deal out of the Democrats turning out so overwhelmingly, much more so than the Republicans. But I would be careful with that. Now, you do need to turn on the vote. If you haven't voted FC ballot, the, you can vote until 7 o'clock today. Uh, except in Fulton County, I'm told all over the state the, the lines are moving very smoothly. People are social distancing. People are wearing masks. Uh... They're going through quickly and efficiently, and you got the new machines today. And that ultimately is why I decided not to run out and do an absentee ballot. I want to go see the new machine, so I'll go vote. When I'm done with the show, I'm going to go over and vote. Uh, My polling precinct is just uh, across the street from my neighborhood. And um, guess what is it? It used to be Mabel White. Now it's Turning Point. I I don't know. Um, Yeah. So we've got this church across the street from us, and – the church was Mabel White, and now it's got a sign that says Turning Point at Mabel White, and I'm never quite sure what's up with that, but that's my polling precinct, and it's it's, it's near my neighborhood, so I'll, I'll go right across and be able to vote, and it never – well, I take that back. Uh, in 2018, in the governor's race, 
In 2018 in the governor's race, it probably took me 30 minutes to vote. Normally it takes less than 10. Uh, and apparently polling is very light over there. You know, I can fly my drone over and see what the line looks like. I should do that, but it's it's not a bad line. So I'll go vote, but just keep that in mind. Now, the Republicans presume that John Ossoff is going to win the Democratic primary for the U.S. Senate. They presume that he will be the nominee, and I'm already starting to get the, the mail on John Ossoff. Here's the thing with John Ossoff. He checks the boxes for the national media. Uh, Telegenic, young, progressive Democrat who, when the cameras are rolling, starts speaking with the cadence of Barack Obama, saying all sorts of grand and glorious, vapid platitudes that don't actually mean anything. In fact, if I were the Purdue camp or an outside group, I would take all of John Ossoff's statements and I would just run them. Uh, I mean, they're just word salads. I believe in the future of the people that the people themselves will bring if the government rises up to the people to give them what the people desire to bring to the people. I believe, yes, we can. And the Democrats are like, he's just like Barack Obama. And you're like, what the hell did that guy just say? I mean, that, that is John Ossoff. I believe that we can change the change that we need to change to bring about the change in our community for the greater cause of change, for the great union of the people's republic of what we want to change it to. <gasps> oh, John Ossoff, you're so... <laughs> The normal people are like, what did this guy just say? I mean, I could, I, you could feature an ad of John Ossoff where you literally have somebody diagram. Now, not that anybody knows what diagramming a sentence is anymore, but you would diagram the sentence and just question, what is this guy saying? I mean, because that 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 is his shtick. I mean, John Ossoff says says these the most profound, high soaring rhetoric things until you actually. Um, pay attention to what he's actually saying, and then you realize that he's really not saying anything. It, it, it's change will not come if we wait for some other person, or if we wait for some other time. We are the change. I, I'm not going to keep playing that out because the audio is so low on that. But you, you get it, Jay. We we are the change we've been waiting for. That is that is a Barack Obama line that John Ossoff would would, would let. Let's think. What, what are some of the other word salads that John Ossoff? We need to defund the police by reforming the police with more money from the federal government to defund the police at the local level so that we can pay them more and so that we can have a reformed police. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, okay, so he's probably going to be the Democratic nominee. More likely than not, there won't be a runoff. Uh, you, and, you know, can, can we, can we, can, can I... Just, just for a moment, please. I need to, to pivot. I need to rearrange my microphone because I need to look sincerely at the camera for just a moment. Dear Teresa Tomlinson, you tried to think out the box by running from everyone, by running your campaign from Columbus, 
You, you didn't want to be in the Atlanta media market. You you wanted to show that you were a candidate for the rest of Georgia and then never went to the rest of Georgia to actually campaign. You, you decided that you were going to out-progressive Ted Terry, a man who outraged you before he went away for failure to raise any money and yet still left a mark on the race by getting you to beclown yourself on camera by saying you were more progressive than him in the scorecards of progressivism because you were a 98 and he was a 95.5. And your campaign, well, you never set yourself up to take on a guy like John Ossoff because, well, you just never had your ducks in a row. You were a mayor of Columbus, probably no more qualified to be senator than John Ossoff, and yet you were elected and you couldn't do anything with it. And John Ossoff today, well, he's probably going to get out of this without even a runoff, but hey, just just to make you feel better, John Ossoff took a few shots at you in his latest attacks, just so you would feel like you were heard. Don't ever say you were ignored, Teresa. Now, goodbye. I, I just, the the Teresa Tomlinson campaign befuddled. She got all of these Democrats uh, to rally to her. She got all of these Democrat endorsements. I think Roy Barnes endorsed her. She got a whole bunch of endorsements. And then she just completely fell flat. Uh, it just, it was bizarre. She fell flat. Uh, couldn't go anywhere with her campaign. It, it, she she lost people. She had a hard time managing the people. She she micromanaged her campaign. The, the whole thing was bizarre. And then there's Sarah Riggs Amico. I mean, if anything, see, this is the thing with John Ossoff, very much like, so Ossoff in 20, what was it, the Karen Handel race, 2017, the special election against Karen Handel, John Ossoff, um, he was able to win by capturing the attention of progressive Hollywood types who poured money into his campaign so he could overshadow about 15, 16 people in the race. Remember, they were all piled on the ballot together, Republicans and Democrats, and he was able to do this. Uh, And then he lost to Karen Handel in that district uh, where it had massive turnout, and yet they still voted for Karen Handel over him. Now you've got the situation where he's running against Sarah Riggs Amico and Teresa Tomlinson. With Sarah Riggs Amico, she was the Democratic Lieutenant Governor nominee in 2018. In 2018, this woman ran a statewide race and came close enough to Jeff Duncan to file a lawsuit challenging the election, which she ultimately lost. And now she's a nobody again. That was honestly, that was the most bizarre thing that I don't think people outside of Georgia actually appreciate. Uh, The woman who ran statewide for lieutenant governor and actually did a good job running for lieutenant governor in the state for a Democrat in the state of Georgia with Stacey Abrams at the top of the ticket. She did a good job getting herself media attention, getting herself positive media mentions. And then she went back to run her father's business. It went into bankruptcy. She was able to turn that into an attack on the president for what he did to the economy with tariffs and the like. And then she did nothing. And she had the money to do something and she did nothing. And she's going to go down in flames against John Ossoff. It, 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 the whole thing just, I, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't. And and now they, they've set Ossoff up. And here's the thing. Ossoff was never roughed up by the media because he was the media darling. Against Karen Handel, there is all sorts of opposition research against John Ossoff. Like, for example, um, he he worked for Al Jazeera, which is Osama, was Osama bin Laden's favorite TV network. Not only did he work for Al Jazeera, Osama bin Laden's favorite TV network, but where, where does he get? Where does an investigative journalist get the amount of money that John Ossoff apparently has? 
Is it his? Did he earn it? Did it come from his parents? What? I mean, there are all sorts of questions to raise about John Ossoff. And remember, the national media is not going to vet him. But the local media in Georgia tends to be more curious and less partisan than the national media. And there are all sorts of questions to be raised about him. The whole thing is, is shady. And you can be sure David Perdue is going to do that. Now, here's the other thing is people look at David Perdue and they see him as some sort of guy with a silver spoon in his mouth. And that's not really true. David Perdue is a public school kid from middle Georgia whose parents were public school teachers. He is an American success story. He did not inherit wealth from his parents. He got into the private sector and became successful, ultimately becoming the CEO of Dollar General. And now he's in the U.S. Senate. And there are a lot of people who will look at David Perdue and they will paint him as some out-of-touch rich guy when he has a very compelling life story and he's got the money to spend to tell that story. And this is a story a lot of Georgians either forgot or they did not know. And they're going to figure it out. And all of the, these uh, fan fiction stories of the left that this is the year Georgia turns blue, well, you can put them in the file and recirculate them in 2022 because uh, I just don't see Ossoff as the type of person who's going to galvanize people to go out and vote for him. And again, you're in a presidential cycle and you're in a cycle, frankly, where the president is still, it may only be a point or two ahead of Joe Biden in the polls, but in this environment in Georgia, at a time the Democrats say Georgia is suddenly a blue state, uh, that's actually really good for the president. And that's going to trickle down the ballot to the other Republicans. Now, speaking of the economy, uh, this hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If you are a business and you need access to, to capital, First Liberty wants to help you. Uh, they specialize in helping businesses grow their businesses. They are not for individuals looking for bank loans, but for businesses. And if you got a business and you need access to capital, they want to help you. Now, if you're a business and you need access to the payroll protection program, they also want to help you and there's still money available and they can help you. What you do is you go to firstlibertyga.com and you fill out the paperwork You, you online. It's an application online. And First Liberty of Georgia will help you get into PPP. You're, if you're a small business, and listen to me, people, you're a small business, you haven't reopened yet, or you're still on hard times with the reopening, and you haven't applied, give it a shot. I mean, it's no risk. If you maintain your payroll, it becomes a grant, and you don't have to pay it back. It becomes not a loan. So go to firstlibertyga.com. They cannot guarantee you access to the program. They will do their best to help you. I highly recommend them. The Frost family are friends of mine. Uh, they've been doing this since the early 90s, helping small and mid-sized businesses become big businesses, and they can help your business get into the payroll protection program. It's firstlibertyga.com is their website. Hello there. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, the New York Times has gotten in on the act on the hate crimes legislation in Georgia, and apparently we made bigger news than we expected yesterday. The lieutenant governor uh, saying that if, if we're going to do hate crimes, he has some some technical changes. Let me explain one of the issues for you with, with what the, the House of Representatives is doing. And they want a hate crimes legislation that would essentially allow it to be politicized. So it would be a sentencing modifier. What that means is that you, you decide to charge someone with a hate crime 
and say that they they killed this person or they damaged their business or property because of they uh, their sexual orientation or their race or their ethnicity or their gender or religion, uh, we would allow a judge to then enhance the sentence. So they go to the jury for the regular charge, and then the judge gets to determine if it was a hate crime and ex- enhance their sentence. Throw them in jail more. What you're going to find is that judges do this in campaign years. So the alternative that some of the Senate Republicans are looking at is we don't just need to include the federal list of protected classes and add sexual orientation to it, which is what the left wants. So essentially it's uh, race, sex, uh, national origin, and ethnicity. Uh, add to it sexual orientation. That's what the Speaker of the House and the Democrats in the House want. Uh, they also want to add police and political views. Uh, some of them do, and, which I think is the right way to do. Listen, uh, let's. we are in a situation right now where I guarantee you you're going to start seeing violence against police. If you're going to do a hate crimes bill and, and you, you think that the political winds are so strong you can't avoid it, add police to it and add political speech to it because you have on college campuses these days increasingly violent radicals trying to shut down conservatives. You should protect their speech. But then here's the other thing. What you need to do is make sure that you have a situation where the jury deals with this and not the judge. You want to get the politics out of it as much as possible. And listen, I, I oppose hate crimes legislation, but but you know I always tell you people, uh, I say that endearingly, you people, uh, know when you're in the minority even if you think you're right. Know when you're in the minority even if you think you're right. And I know I'm in the minority here. I know overwhelmingly that I'm in the minority on this and most people are okay with hate crimes. Georgia's only one of four states without it and people think might as well. Go ahead. Give them a win. I still think it's wrong. I still think it's a thought crime. But I also do still think if you are in a situation where you can't avoid passing it, then you should at least set yourself up to protect other classes like police and political thought and political speech. And then you should also make sure and work very hard to make sure that you're in a situation where you are letting the jury deal with it and not a judge who could potentially politicize it. So the New York Times now calling for it. You're going to see pressure build. Now, uh, let me go to the phones. Um, Bill is calling. Bill, welcome to the program. Hey, man. How you doing? Good. How are you? Well, uh, I went into my voting place today here in, in Athens, Georgia, in Clark County. Um, I went to the same place I voted for for 16 years, and I did not exist on the voter rolls. And what was funny is my wife went in two hours behind me and she went through without an issue. I had uh, to sit there and I had to sit there in the voting place and fill out a provisional ballot and write all my information. And then they gave me a Sharpie with a, uh, <laughs> a handwritten uh, ballot and I had, and I had to fill it out and fold it up and put it on the paper 
and then put it in the envelope and the envelope that they put it in makes you choose your party affiliation beside your name on the outside of the ballot. Yeah. And then I was given a, a sheet that said that uh, I should go to the board of elections within 72 hours to verify that I exist. And I don't understand <laughs> why that happened because I mean, I'm registered through my driver's license. I called the DMV and did their automated line, and my driver's license is current and valid. And like I said, I've lived in Athens for 22 years and voted at the same polling place in every single election and have never had an issue. Uh, well, I don't, I don't exist. And I don't Yeah. Really yeah well, so what you're saying is you're an undocumented American is what you're saying here. <laughs> Evidently. I mean, yeah, yeah I listen. Don't know. So I, I will tell you, this this does happen. You're not alone. I, when I was a lawyer, I, I dealt with these issues. And no one can ever seem to explain how this happens. Uh, but you're not alone in the number of Georgians this happens to. And, and a lot of people try to make this an issue of race. And it's not really an issue of race. Uh, it just, it happens. Uh, you, 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 someone, they accidentally drop, say there are two of you. And one of you should have been purged from the rolls, and, and because you both have the same name, both of you actually didn't get dropped because the other guy was a non-voter. These sorts of things happen. Uh, they can get it fixed with your provisional ballot, but be on top of that to make sure your vote does get counted. It is me. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And yeah, I did. Yes, the the pause was actually just a a, a brain fart. Um, <laughs> sorry, it, we have reached that point in the program where we have less than half an hour to go, and, and my brain is starting to lock up on me. Uh, the Kentucky governor, uh, Andy Brashar. Okay, you know, there's, I'm I'm awaiting the think pieces comparing. Uh, Matt Bevan to Donald Trump. Matt Bevan, who I, by the way, I, I know and like Matt Bevan uh, a lot, but his campaign, I was less than impressed with Matt Bevan's campaign. Um, Matt Bevan, is, so l- let me tell you a story uh, about the, the, the Bevan. And by the way, so I didn't, I, I backed Matt Bevan in the Senate uh, against Mitch McConnell, he challenged Mitch McConnell years ago, uh, and then he ran on, went on to become governor. And I, I didn't back him in the governor's race, and I didn't back him in the governor's race uh, because uh, I honestly he was like at nine percent in the polls. It didn't seem like he had a shot at all. And so some friends of mine said, "Listen, and Matt's a, an awesome guy, and we would back him, but he doesn't have a shot." And we got gun, uh, one guy who's who's on the cusp of of winning, and he's a good Christian guy, better than the other guy. Can, could you support him? I said, okay. And then Matt, uh, those two guys, the, the two guys, Matt was in third place. Those two guys destroyed themselves, and Matt ran up the middle as the uniter and won, and, and good for him. And, and he, I thought, actually did a good job holding the line as governor of Kentucky, but he did a lot of tone-deaf things, uh, things that ultimately became unpopular, made a lot of decisions in his last year in office, that rubbed people the wrong way and wound up losing to Andy Bashar. A lot of Republicans voted for the Democrat uh, to be rid of uh, of Matt Bevan. And I keep waiting for the national media think pieces on the similarities between Bevan and Trump. And I, I got to tell you, you know, can, can I just stop here? Can, can we have a let's have confessional moment, shall we? You know, I didn't support the president in 2016 for a, a whole variety of reasons that, man, are starting to s- come back up to the surface. 
Uh, and I, I told him, I've, I've told him that I would vote for him in 2020. And here's the thing. And so in, in 2016, I never thought that he was going to win. And a lot of my friends were like, you're wrong. Now, I, I let me be clear. I would not have supported him if I thought he was going to win. Uh, I, I really don't find the man to be very likable. Uh, and it, the, the stuff that even now that he's doing on Twitter, I, I think he, he's his own worst enemy. And I think everybody listening kind of knows that he's his own worst enemy. He, he lacks the self-control and the impulse control uh, to really focus the way he should. But, and I just, I, I didn't think he was going to win in 2016. And, and all my friends were like, no, no, trust me. People hate Hillary so much. He's going to win. Uh, he, he's going to win. And he did. I was wrong. Had to eat crow on it. And now we're in 2020. We're June 9th in 2020. And most, not all, I may, I shouldn't even say most, but a significant portion of my friends who in 2016 were telling me I was wrong and he was going to win are now telling me it's over. And I'm the guy saying, no, it's June. It can't be over. It's June. We haven't even had the conventions yet. We don't even know who Joe Biden's vice presidential pick is going to be. And these guys are like, nope, it's over. He, he clearly doesn't want to win. And I, I got to tell you, um, I understand where they're coming from. You can see so clearly what the president needs to do because he's he's not a challenger against Hillary Clinton now. He's the incumbent sitting president of the United States. There are riots in the streets. There are protests. We've got a, a global pandemic. We've got economic problems. And on and on it goes. And... The president is on Twitter tweeting out conspiracy theories about the old man who was shoved by the police in uh, Philadelphia or Massachusetts or wherever it was up north. He just, he can't help himself. And so I understand people's frustration, but I also understand that it's June. And if I, if I am in the role of someone who, regardless of my feelings on the candidates and just playing it straight at the analysis level, it's June. There is time. Now, Biden's lead continues to go up in the polling, and the polling is not really wrong per se. When you get to that level, uh, uh, when you get to 10% in the polling where Joe Biden is, you do have trouble, and the president's team knows it. There was a crisis meeting among the president's advisors over the weekends on what to do and trying to get the president to focus on a message. And this president doesn't like to focus on a message. This president actually believes, and he's got plenty of data to back him up on this, that he's right. He believes that he's his own best messenger. The problem is the president's his own worst enemy as well. You know, so I was driving through, if you've ever been to middle Georgia, the Lizella area, is just gorgeous. It is, it's rural Bibb County. Now, everybody thinks of Bibb County as Macon and the city and the county consolidated. So it's Macon, Bibb County, but there is an unincorporated area called Lizella. It is God's country with God's people and it is beautiful. It is rural. There are pastures, there are woods, there's hunting land, there's land to, to RV, there are lakes. And there's land out on Lake Tobosofsky and Macon. And I thought, man, if I could win the lottery, I'd, I'd, I'd build a house out there. It's just, it's pretty land and good people. And I, But I noticed something. We were just riding around the other day, and I noticed that there are flags up in a lot of people's yards. 
and they're Trump 2020 flags. There's somebody on, on um, near me who actually has an American flag up and also a Trump 2020 flag. I don't ever remember any presidential candidate's flags flying in people's yards as if they're of that person's nation or state. And there are Trump 2020 flags all over the place. The, the Lysel area down towards Byron uh, in Peach County, in that area, you see it all the time now. Where you used to see the old Georgia flag, you, you, you see Trump flags now. And these are good people, salt of the earth people. And they feel genuinely left behind by society. They're lower middle class to poor. And they have been betrayed by both political parties. They have been lied to by both political parties. They supported George W. Bush. He was going to keep them safe. And then after 2004, he decided to put Harriet Myers on the Supreme Court and do immigration reform that gave amnesty to illegal aliens who were taking the jobs that displaced these people and put them in their economic situation. Barack Obama decided to go after their faith-based communities, their their, uh, church-based nonprofits. He wanted them to pay for people's abortions. He was anathema to them. So here comes the president of the United States, Donald Trump, who says to these people, I am your guy and you will be mine. I'll be your president and you will be my people. And they had nowhere else to go. They didn't have a home with any of the other Republicans. They didn't have a home within the Democratic Party, so they went with Trump. The guy they watched on TV, the guy they knew he could be crass and vulgar, but he was with them and they believed him. They, they knew he connected with them and he still has their back. So they have his back. This is the, in my lifetime, I do not recall a candidate like Donald Trump, a president like Donald Trump, who has so many Republican party power players who publicly praise him and privately loathe him. But they all fear these voters of his. And, and and frankly, a lot of them drip with disdain for these voters. I don't know what's going to happen to these people when Donald Trump goes away. I really don't. Maybe maybe Joe Biden will find a way to connect to them. I don't see – I see a lot of Republicans ostentatiously trying to hump the president's leg to get the attention of these people, saying, me, 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 I hump better than that guy. I hump his leg better than that guy. It really is embarrassing. I, I'm embarrassed for the people who are doing this. I, I call it ostentatious Trump humping. Uh, it, it's just bizarre to see these people go through these elaborate rituals to prove that they're the heir to Trump. And they know that these voters are going to come for them. There will be people, remember the scene in Wizard of Oz uh, where Dorothy throws the water on the Wicked Witch of the West and she begins to melt. And when she's gone, the soldiers turn out to be happy. The flying monkeys may have been angry, but the soldiers were happy. And that's what it's going to be like when Donald Trump leaves, whether he loses or he's term limited. When he's gone, you will have a lot of Republicans who openly begin to cheer he's gone. And there will be a lot of people who are upset that he's gone because they knew he had his back. And the question is going to be for 2024, who can have those people's back while also bringing in other people by, by maybe having some of the president's policies without having some of his abrasiveness. Uh, Josh Hawley, I think is trying to make a play for this. Nikki Haley is Tom Cotton is a lot of them are. 
And the interesting thing is, is across the board, you're you're going to have this purge within the party. There will be those who get purged because they weren't loyal enough to the president, and there will be those who get purged because they were too loyal to the president. It will be a very bizarre time for the GOP, which makes me think if the president wins in 2020, it will be delayed inevitably by a couple of years. But if he loses in 2020, by God, the day after the election, the purges begin. These, these voters who fly the Trump flags, they, they, they're going to turn on John Bolton when his book comes out. You know, they've loved John Bolton. This is the crazy thing, how quickly people will turn on someone who they believe betrays the president. John Bolton has been a hero for many of these people for years. He's been loved by conservative talk radio. He's been loved on Fox News. He's got a book that comes out uh, later this month that apparently is scathing about the president. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen Game of Thrones, Ramsey Bolton, he had those dogs. They turned on Ramsey Bolton. Uh, they, these people are like, they will be like Ramsey Bolton's dogs turning on John Bolton. They will tear him to pieces for being disloyal to the president. But I, I just, I, I, I want to talk about this for just a moment. Because a lot of these people, a lot of the Republicans who are standing shoulder to shoulder with the president, even if they don't like him, they're trying to use the president as a shield to stop the advance of progressivism in this country. But the advance of progressivism in this country, I believe at a theological level, is is really an advance against the faith. And you can't stop the world advancing against the faith on the world. Only God can do that. A lot of these people are using the president uh, as a spiritual shield when, when he can't be a spiritual shield. I understand why evangelicals are loyal to the president. I understand why people like me would vote for the president in November. He is arguably the most pro-life president in our lifetime, ever. The Democrats have been at war with people of faith, saying they want to take tax-exempt status away from churches that won't do gay marriage. The president stands with the police. I, I, I totally get that. I'm with you. He's had great judicial picks. I'm with you. But... I really think a lot of people are looking at him as a political savior to a spiritual problem in their life or the life of this nation, and that's not going to work. He, he's he's not he's you you think he's the guy who's protecting you, but actually he's speeding up the problem. The president, there is ample data out there now showing that the president is actually a catalyst for people turning hostile towards people of faith. There are so many Christian leaders in this country who have beclowned themselves in defense of this president. And by the way, that's a criticism not of the president; it's a criticism of then. I mean, some of these people, the, the Jerry Falwells and the Robert Jeffries of the world, who would just just get on TV and hump the president's leg. The the president says that 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 Planned Parenthood is good. You know well. Planned Parenthood does do some good things. Remember that from 2016? They do this sort of stuff, and it's outrageous. To many people, regardless of the party, they, they think they can and should behave like the president. He, he This is what I've said all the time. He's got this great superpower where the president gets people to act in the way they believe he acts. So if you think the president is a womanizer, you will become a womanizer. If you think the president... It tweets nasty stuff, you will tweet nasty stuff. And there are a lot of people who see the president as a fighter, and so they fight and they choose to divide, and, and they make it about us versus them. They see the political fight. It's a struggle between their way of life and something that's against their way of life. And to a degree, they're right, but to a degree, they're so bl- busy clinging to this idea they have of the United States that may not be true. They can't actually recognize what the country is or what the country has become people who are holding on to the last vestiges of something and they're using Donald Trump to do it and and he's term limited even if he wins. 
And I just, I, I feel like we're in this period of sorting. It is a great period of sorting. Who are the people who really believe the things they espouse? And the people who are just in the cult of personality, who are the Christians, who are the evangelicals who really believe by faith that they've got a an actual savior who created the universe? And who are those who claim to be of faith, but really they're in their bass boat on Sunday and they're voting for Trump to be their savior? Who are the people who really believe limited government is good and we need to control our finances versus those who just mouth off about it, but they're happy to turn a blind eye when their party does all the stuff they say they they disagree with. And it, we're in the sorting period in this country, and it's on both sides of the aisle. And Donald Trump is not going to save us from progressivism because progressivism is the world without God. And the things of the world hate the things of God, and it is on the march until the second coming. And I just, I, I just would caution people, everyone, to not put your faith and your hope and your trust in men. And, and particularly on the Democratic side these days with racial injustice and intolerance and hostility, do you really believe the government that brought you Jim Crow is the government that's going to solve this problem? Do you really believe the government that put your kids in failing public schools and won't let you get them out of there is the government that's going to solve this problem? Don't put your hope and trust in government and in men. It always ends badly for you. So I got this. I distracted myself with the Bevan Trump comparison earlier. I was really wanting to talk about Andy Bashar, the, the governor there. The Republicans in the state decided they were tired of Bevan. They worked with the Democrats. They threw him out. And now Bashar has come out yesterday and he said he's going to start a new program in the state where every black citizen in the state of Kentucky uh, with certain parameters is going to be able to get free health care paid for by the state. And the national media just went gaga over it. <gasps> yeah, Andy Bashar is such a good guy. I can't believe he's going to do this. This would this will improve the situation. And then people were like, "Wait a second, um, how can he do this? This is racial discrimination. How how can he do this? Um, he can't." Now, now, certainly there are parameters uh, by which he can, but he can't just make it about black citizens in Kentucky. He's got to make it about citizens regardless of race. Otherwise, it's discrimination. And you see, this is, this is one of the, the, the issues. I suspect we're going to have some level of frustration here coming up uh, because a lot of the things that people will say are systemic racism, you will find you run into legal challenges when you try to upend them because it looks like you're giving preferential treatment now to black citizens. And they're going to have to be very careful about the way they do that. And, and man, uh, Bashar, I, he's probably a one-term governor, and, he, and he's just going going for broke as a result. I don't blame him for doing it, uh, but he's got a, a legislature that has a veto-proof Republican majority. It's going to be, he's going to be very careful how he gets this done. But it's just fascinating to watch the media cheer stuff on like this and then all of a sudden say, hey, wait a second. Can he actually do that? No. No, my friends, he can't. Uh, before I get out of here today, I want to I want to point something out. Have you noticed uh, whatever happened to all the blood on Brian Kemp's hands? We haven't actually seen a spike in cases in Georgia. We've actually continued to see a downward trajectory in Georgia. There was a little bit of a bounce up uh, in the seven-day average, but not really, and it's headed back down again uh, pretty decisively so as the virus continues to get out of the state of Georgia. Even the IHME model uh, for Georgia continues to show. In fact, if you text the word data to 33777, you can see all the stuff uh, yourself. You don't have to see me doing it. Um, the, the state of Georgia continues to show 
that we are on a downward trajectory in the state of Georgia. Uh, it, it continues to show, well, I will say the IHME modeling has revised up all of a sudden, uh, now suggesting we're going to have like 3,046 cases in the state of Georgia on July 1st, instead of they were almost like down to 100, and then 2,332 in August. But that's not really Brian Kemp's issue, is it? It's it's the protesters got out there. And the protesters started spreading the virus. But is that really the case? Because what we're seeing is when you take the models and you take the seven-day rolling averages and you take the adjustments, you start to see these collapses. There are only seven states in the nation that are seeing major rises in cases. In fact, even Georgia, remember, it's the, the um, rate of transmission. If it's above one, you start to see a spread. And if it's below one you start to see a decline. And Georgia spiked for a couple of days because of the data. And now it's back below one again. It was it was above one for maybe a week, and now it's back below one. And the rolling average shows the virus is starting to fade away. And, and notice we're not hearing after all of that screaming about the blood on Brian Kemp's hands, we're, we're not hearing that anymore. Things are actually going okay in the state of Georgia. It is incredible that the people who said he he was going to kill all sorts of people are now refusing to apologize. It's actually, it, it's incredible that what we are seeing is a media in this country uh, running so far to the left now, part of the resistance, that they don't even want to own up to the fact when they got things wrong. There are reporters today, so there's a crazy tweet from the president today. And it's about a conspiracy theory about the 75-year-old activist who was shoved by the police that maybe the man actually had a blood packet and he fell over himself and 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 he, he, it was all staged. It's just it, it's crazy. Reporters have printed this out to ask Republican senators what they think about it. When is the last time they printed out statements from the Democrats asking Democrats, do you really want to defund the police? Do you support this tweet? What, what do you think about this? They never do that to the Democrats. Uh, they just discredit themselves on all of this sort of stuff. And they don't even, I think they know and they don't care at this point is what's going on here. 